Hello and welcome to the Ramen Profitable Podcast. My name is Atish Mazumdar and I'm here with my co-pilot, the great and powerful Chris Scott. And this is the podcast about testing out your ideas, taking your first steps, and really overcoming those obstacles on the way to entrepreneurship. Enjoy. Did you ever see this movie um, where a family, I think the mom left, I'm not sure, or maybe the mom's dead or something. I really only remember the father and the kids. I'm not really, uh, I don't remember what's going on with the mother, if there was a mother, you know, et cetera. But uh, it's like they, they, uh, they find these, it's like a strained relationship with the kids, I think. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. And then they find these goslings, which is the plural term for uh, child or baby geese, goose, geese, however you would say that. And then they raise these uh, geese and then they leave when it's time for their migration. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Uh, I remember seeing the movie for the fr- uh, probably the only time on an airplane back when you couldn't choose your own movie. Um, oh, it, it was it was more when uh, is this an Indian movie? No. <laughs> oh, there are no geese in India. Well, I mean, there are, I guess. I assume the British brought them over. Yeah, probably. Goddamn imperialists. <laughs> Anyways, the, the movie's been on my mind recently, so. I guess. Is it also four hours long? No. That was, look, that was uh, (laughs) one movie that I gave to you, and yeah, it was a little long, and I know that that sounds hypocritical coming from the person who was complaining about how long uh, that Marvel movie was. Uh, Is Jeff Daniels in it? Who's Jeff Daniels? He was uh, Lloyd, I think, in... Dumb and Dumber. Okay. There's Lloyd and Floyd. I think maybe it was Floyd. Uh, I I don't I don't know I don't know who the actors were. It was so long ago. But I you know when you have these memories that you don't even remember having, so you're not actively uh, thinking about them, or like they don't they don't come up. But then somebody says something that unlocks something deep within your psyche. And for me, it was this movie about the geese. <laughs> Was it Fly Away Home? Yes, yes, that's it. I was going to say Fly Away with me. Fly Away Home. Good times. Good to know. All right, well. We solved that mystery. Yeah, welcome back to a riveting episode of Ramen Profitable, and we (laughs) solved our first mystery within five minutes of the episode, or actually five minutes of us starting recording, so now all of that will make the episode, so... You're welcome, fans. You can go ahead and look up Fly Away Home, a movie potentially starring Jeff Daniels about raising children and geese. It has a very surprising. Which is something the world needs a little bit more of uh, right now. Yeah, I think so. I think a little more simplicity, a little less. Like, that was when uh, coronavirus really kicked off in March. um, And the number one movie on Netflix was Contagion. And I just don't yeah. get that at all. Was, I think people were searching for, uh, I guess, hope or like a solution could be seen in this movie or how people deal with it and handle it. Yeah, I guess. But to me, it's just like, like my buddy was like, oh, man, do you want to watch? Uh, do you want to come over and watch Contagion? I was like, no, absolutely not. That's the last thing I want to do. I'm just I'm already nervous. I already, you know, don't think I have any answers for anything. I'm kind of confused concerned about where things are going, you know, whatever. It's like, why would I tack on extra anxieties with Matt Damon? Exactly. And I don't mean to hate on Matt Damon. I liked him in, uh, Ooh, I don't know. Actually. (laughs) I like the Bourne movies. The Bourne movies are all right. I like them too. It's just that the, I don't, I don't know how to, uh, uh, I, I don't know how to express this without making me sound dumb, but I think that that's, it's just what's going to come out of this anyway, so I might as well get it over with. My problem with the Bourne movies is that the plot, like just the underlying story, the stunts are great, 
you know, the fight sequences are really tight and really great. I forget which one that is. I think it was the most recent one where he's like fucking doing stuff with a magazine and stuff like that. Like, all that was the second one. Oh, whatever. Anyways, point being, I think I watched that on an airplane too. <laughs> In fact, I would say probably 30% of the movies that I've watched have been on airplanes. Um, that makes sense. I believe that. Yeah. Uh, but but just the plots are always way more convoluted than... Because you, you naturally make the comparison between Bond movies and Bourne movies, right? You make that right. comparison because it's all about a super spy and, you know, whatever. And I will disclaim this to no end that, yeah, I'll admit, I'm a Bond fanboy or whatever the, you know, it's kind of like how Eminem huh. has stands. I don't know what they're called for Bond fans, but whatever that is, I'm one of those. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. The point being is that Bond plots are always pretty, you know, you start the movie, he's on a mission that is not directly related to the mission that is the main movie, but it has some kind of thread that he pulls on to get himself to the main mission. And it's always that somebody is getting, you know, uh, uh, a weapon, they've obtained a weapon that they shouldn't have, or they've destroyed, you know, British weapons that they shouldn't have. Or they're getting an, a mass of like power or wealth or something, or there's like a shadow, you know, whatever. It's like that's Bond plots, and that I really understand. You throw a, a you know, a couple like a, a super villain in the mix, you know, whatever, and I get it. My problem uh-huh. with Bourne plots is that they are just really, it's all about like some shadow government conspiracy, and it's always moles within the own organization but then it turns out the whole organization is corrupt and the good people inside the corrupt organization were actually you know it just gets so convoluted so much faster and it may be because i'm just dumb or maybe because i like simplicity but i don't know i i just uh they they always seem a little confusing to me okay i don't know do you have a preference between bond or born well i feel like uh uh, like I've been thinking about Bond a lot lately and just like the whole character in general mm-hmm. and just how, how well Bond doesn't really mesh with a, the modern world. It's definitely yeah. like a nostalgic type storyline. You know, this womanizer traveling around the world, killing people cause he's got a license to, and it's right. And, uh, I don't see how the, I think the villains in Bond movies are kind of similar to, uh, uh, born movies, but born movies are, I guess, more based in reality. Yeah, and how and and it makes sense that they're more complex and conv- not convoluted, but uh, all over the place because it's kind of how real life is. It's kind of mm-hmm. like this person talks to this person, and you know that's how you assume how it is in the real world. Yeah, so I think that's why I like those movies, but I I I, I enjoy both. I do enjoy both. Yeah, and and I definitely. Um both like understand and actually can like would exposit more on your initial point that it's like well bond is kind of this vestigial character from kind of a time that we might not relate to anymore or maybe we shouldn't be relating to anymore like i've been thinking about that too and that was why i actually thought that if there was no need for hollywood and this will be you know i could do a an, an entire thing about this so I, I won't I won't stay on the topic any longer than this but um I was thinking about this recently and if it wasn't for the fact that um that you know Hollywood obviously has contracts for however many movies you're supposed to do and they want to squeeze every penny out of every asset that they have and really make sure that they're getting their money's worth and all this kind of stuff and we were on contract for this many films or as is my understanding of Hollywood through Uh, watching Entourage. I don't really, I guess I don't really know. (laughs) But I really think that uh, Skyfall, which is not the latest Bond, so the latest Bond was supposed to come out this April and is coming out actually now in November, purportedly. Who knows? Right. Um, Who knows? No Time to Die. I'm actually really excited for that one. And that one may carry some of the theory of what I'm about to say. Who knows? Um, But they did one in between there, Spectre. I actually think that um, since they were going to transition bonds anyways and change them and uh, potentially there was like talk of like maybe a female bond or maybe Idris Elba taking over and I, I don't know, there's all this kind of stuff. I thought the natural point to, to do that would have been Skyfall. Have you, have you seen Skyfall? I, of course I've seen Skyfall. I think that's one of, I think that's probably the better of the Daniel Craig movies. 
Oh yeah, arguably. Like I, I really liked Casino Royale, the re- reboot. I think that one's my favorite. Um, but I completely see why people like Skyfall. But basically, the theme of Skyfall is like, man, what are you doing? Like spies in England, and you know, all of a sudden there's a guy like they introduce the new Q who can do more on his laptop than he can do in, with a year out in the field. And they say that they make the point that he's like, you're an old dog. Like, you can't learn new tricks. And so I think that that should have been the thematic retiring of that style of Bond. You know what I mean? Like, we've changed. We've changed. And, you know, to hold on to this kind of vestigial character, it's like, we don't have to, we can change the series without uh, it being, like, completely, you know, we can still nod to the old series and say where we got this material from and stuff like that. But we can also put it completely to the side. And I think Skyfall was the representation of that. You're an old dog. You can't learn new tricks. Let's put this to the side and let's start something new. And I think that was also 12 years ago. Not 12 years. It came out in 2012. So it was eight years ago. It came out in 2012? Yeah. So that was like 100 years ago, basically. Wow. So it's it's insane. So, uh, you know, it's crazy how in eight years we've come this far to where we you know, have this kind of understanding that, yeah, maybe it's time to let this go and move forward. Right. Yeah. I I think that maybe these things happen exponentially. So not linearly, like it's not that because then eight years would seem like a really short amount of time. But I think that just the, the rate at which things have been changing, the globalization, our understanding of like, you know, other cultures, the community that we can foster now, not just with the group of people that's directly next to us, but kind of more globally and, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that ended up changing things at a, at a much faster rate and exponentially. So that amazes me in both directions. Right. On the one hand, I'm like, well, eight years isn't to your point that much change in eight years. It's like, well, that's not really that much time. But at the same time. I'm referencing a movie that's eight years old. That seems odd. Right. So It is odd. Jeez, eight years ago. Now, those were the days, right? I was, what? How old were you eight years ago? 20? I was 20. Uh, I was 31. Nope, 29. 29. What a time. 29. What a time. Wait, so that means you're basically eight years older than me? I think so, yeah. Because I'm 28 going on 29 now. Wow. Oh, and I just turned 37. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting up there. I'm getting old. You're, you're getting there, but you're uh, plenty the wiser for it. Well, um, I, I had something, uh, you know, I think we alluded to this last week, and, and normally we do some win or learn, but I want to make sure we really uh, get through this topic and we really do it justice. So maybe if we have some time, we'll hit it at the end. But I really had some kind of questions around... Um, we were talking a little bit last week about audience building and, and you were sort of referencing the social media uh, work that has been put in on Elephant Scout. And I mean, first and foremost, how's, how's that been going? How's that effort been working that, you know, to drive that audience building? Oh, it's been going uh, pretty well. I feel like we haven't really exploded yet, but we haven't really lost anybody. Yeah. So that, that makes me feel like we're doing Okay. It takes time. It's not like a, it's not a sprint. Yeah. You can't just like a million people and then expect a million followers. Right. You know? Right. So our, we're creating content. We're constantly putting it out. Um, we still have some hiccups as opposed to scheduling and creating content and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we're not so sporadic that it's hurting us. If that makes any sense. No, totally. And, and, you know, I, I was, uh, kind of looking back at, first of all, you're posting a lot, uh, more frequently, which is, uh, I mean, that's the number one name of the game I think is consistency, but then also there's so much stuff that I I feel like I really like it in terms of the content. So I'm not sure, you know, how this resonates with your followers or how you see this, but there was like a shot of obviously you all filming, Eddie Mummy, like in a living room, like it must have been some scene in a living room of an apartment or in a house or something like that. Yeah. uh And it was and I saw just like because in my mind, you know, we've worked on uh, a short before and, uh, you know, it was a a pretty sparse crew. It was, you know, were you even handling the camera? I think you were. I think I was. Yeah. 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 So you were handling the camera and you wrote the script and you, you know, whatever. I think, uh, we had uh, Jaime for sound. I'm pretty sure that was yep. the only, that sounds other, about right. That, yeah. That was the only, uh, other crew member outside of like the other actors that we had for some group scenes. But for the most part, it was, you know, me, Preston, you and Jaime. Um, 
but so it was so interesting to me to see Eddie Mummy, which was, you know, I think you you shot that and, and completed it before I knew you. But it was really interesting for me to see the background on like, oh, wow, there's like 30 people in this room <laughs> right now. <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty wild. Like there was the actors. There was you sitting on a chair, you know, with the script in hand and about, I don't know, four or five other people in the room all doing stuff. I, I It's like that's exactly the kind of content that I sort of like to see that like B-roll, you know, like here's uh-huh. how it was done type of stuff. It was, it was really cool content. Uh, thank you. Yeah. We, uh, I don't think there were 40 people in the room. Maybe, uh, I think with the actors, maybe eight, <laughs> whatever. It seemed like a something lot. like that. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, that movie was, I guess, filmed the year before I met you Uh huh. or maybe the year I met you, like we were just in like so the main actor in this movie got a haircut and it took like eight months for his hair to grow back, which was ridiculous. Uh, so I think I might have met you in that time frame. We're just waiting to finish this movie. That's right. I remember you talking about that. Yeah. Well, and so it's it's going to be really interesting, I think, from from my perspective, because it's like I'm, I have to imagine that Elephant Scout has matured quite a bit during this time period. So your fan base may have, you know, in, in this amount of time, certainly not the eight years that you know, it's been since Skyfall, but in this amount of time, your fan base has kind of grown or developed or maybe you've reached other. So it's, it's going to be interesting what the difference is between the initial reception of Eddie Mummy and the now reception of Eddie Mummy will look like. Right. This is a, a thing I was juggling with this last weekend and, and how, uh, like on our social media pages, they've all basically doubled in this, in the last year. Sure. So we used to have, let's say 300 followers on Instagram. Now we have 600 followers. Mm-hmm. We used to have, you know, 300 on Facebook. Now there's almost 600 on Facebook. So all these new people are kind of new to Elephant Scout. So uh, I announced this uh, Mummy movie release and I just had this realization that nobody knows what the heck I'm talking about anymore. Like one, it's been five years since we released the movie. And two, these are all brand new people that were not around for that original journey. Right. So it's, uh, it's, uh, constantly keeping up with trends, I think. And also, an understanding of what, who your audience is and how much they really know about you. Mm, okay. Yeah. That, that, that is kind of, there's sort of this, uh, as I was kind of thinking about this, I jotted down some ideas that I had vis-a-vis audience building and actually like what this means and everything like that. It kind of seems just like anything else. It's like a relationship that you have to build, but in business, sometimes those are one-to-one relationships, right? So like when I was briefly in sales, you know, just uh, a few months back, I was I was just building up relationships with people. You know, here's my one person at this organization who I'm going to get to be my you know advocate or my champion within the organization who's going to say, oh, this is a good idea, whatever. And then I kind of meet the surrounding people around them and try and build up relationships. But you're really doing like a one to many relationship, like through yeah. social media and through this audience building. And that brings us back. I think we reference this every time we talk about audience building. We did an episode of CSS about this. I should certainly remember which one it is. I don't. Um, but it's the one where we talk about a thousand true fans. Uh, yeah, yeah, a thousand true fans. I think it's even called a thousand true fans, right? It was like a blog post or an article or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so you know, uh, we we already did an episode about this. You can uh, any listener can find it on CSS, or I mean, certainly just Google a thousand true fans, and you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. But but you're really engaging on a one to many sort of uh, relationship building uh, kind of conquest, and and when you're doing something like that, I mean, how much of it it, it has to be about making things both authentic and then also, which I know is like such a, (laughs) you know, thrown around term these days, but do you think, and I've kind of organized a lot of these questions that I honestly, like, I'm honestly just asking you, do you think if you weren't putting out things the way that you wanted to, or if you weren't proud of the product that you were putting out or anything, or you didn't feel, do you think that the audience would be able to, you would be able to build the audience that you want without, you know, would it be more of a fakery or would it be like, you know, would it be exactly what you're trying to represent? Would it be the 1,000 true fans? I think right now, and the, the last few months, I think, uh, at, least in, at least in the last few months, it's been about more of defining who we are as Elephant Scout. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much uh, the relationship part with the fans, but it's kind of like 
who am I? What kind of stuff do I want to make? What kind of stuff do I want to put out? Mm-hmm. And so I'm just kind of trying to align that with uh, trends and what, what's popular out in the world right now. Mm-hmm. And so I do feel like what we're creating doesn't feel uh, fake or inauth- inauthentic. Is that a word? Unauthentic? I think it is inauthentic. I think that's a word. Inauthentic. Uh, it feels uh, legit and real and something that I would share if it was out there. And I hope other people would connect with the material and share it themselves. So right now we're kind of building a a base of shareable content. So when we finally release, let's say the mummy movie, you know, someone's a fan of it, they can share a meme because it exists already on our, on our page. And we're kind of trying to build a raise awareness and, and connect with people that way. Mm. So, so that kind of something you said there uh, made me, made me kind of think about this foundational sort of topic because we're we're thinking about how we're building an audience in terms of a lot of different stuff, but without an audience, so without whoever's watching the Mummy movie or whoever's watching the Elf and Scout productions and all that kind of stuff, like you're doing what you're doing regardless. So what you were communicating just now is that like we're trying to focus on who we are and what we're putting out and having that resonate with our with our true fans. So you, what you're saying essentially is that like whatever we're putting out, whatever we're producing right now, that is that still means something without an audience, even in a vacuum. Right. So, yeah, definitely trying to be uh, just to create something, just to create something. It gets tedious and you're not you don't feel it and you're just doing it to do it. And uh, yes, consistency is important, especially on social media. I, I feel like it, it needs to have a little bit of heart to last, to have some longevity to it. Right. And, and, and I don't think this maybe is an apt comparison. And I know um, anybody who knows me personally or maybe has seen the threads being pulled on previous episodes here might be able to put it together. But I'm not a fan of TikTok. I think it's poison. But even outside of that, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the difference to me, right? Is without all these followers, without all these followers, what would those TikTok dances mean? What would any of that mean? It doesn't, it doesn't seem to have anything, like, I don't know if without an audience, people, without a guarantee that people would be watching it, I don't think people would be doing it. Whereas... I, I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, whereas, you know, one could say for the Mummy movie, or one could say with what you're doing, essentially, even without an audience, the creation, the creativity part, the art of it still means something outside of like, it can exist in a vacuum. It it doesn't because we live in the real world. But it could exist in a vacuum. And it has substance in and of itself, as opposed to something that people are just posting or putting out there. Right. Do you think that that's uh, one of the core parts of, you know, your style, at least of audience building, which is that you know, we are, we're creating a message or we're doing storytelling of this type. And we're just, we want to put that out there for other people to relate to. Do you think it gives an anchor for, for people to kind of watch and to resonate with? I, I, I feel like what we're creating for social media kind of aligns with the movies we make or the content we make. Mm -hmm. So I, I've never felt like I was a film festival filmmaker. And by that, I mean, you know, very niche, uh, dramatic, hot topics sure that are you know like social issues and stuff that's very mm-hmm. uh like not easy to digest but kind of also for like four people in a room of 20 you know mm-hmm. i've always wanted to make the the more i guess pop movies or the more that's uh, just so, something easier for a broader audience that still has you know messages and and stories to relate to and and growth and change and i feel like that's what i'm trying to do with our social media too it's not it's not too specific like a TikTok. I'm trying to be yeah. more broad and open to everything. But I'm a, like today we made it. I made a new meme today, and I'm nervous about it. Why is that? Because I, I think it's too uh, niche of a meme. Too niche and of a meme. And I don't know if it's going to really sit well with uh, the Elephant Scout audience. Mm. But I think it might. It might help get new people on board. So that's what I'm juggling with right now. So, so that kind of brings up something that's, that's interesting that you say that because I think the way that I've always thought about it 
has been a little bit incorrect, right? I look at it almost like a function, like an equation. I put in X or I put in, you know, whatever, I get Y. So what I mean is, is that, oh, if I generate enough content or if I do this, I'll be building an audience. These people will like it. These people retweet it. These people will follow. These people will subscribe, whatever the modality is, right? Uh-huh. But the way that you're describing it, it sounds more like it's a conversation, like, like you want to make sure, like you are producing what you are producing, but at the same time, you also want to be listening to your audience and make sure that you, like it's a bi-directional kind of give and take. Right, right. Because I don't know, because if you're, if you have to, you know, speak to your audience in a way that, that makes them want to stick around. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's how I look at it. It's like how, not like you're trying to make everybody happy, but you're just trying to... Uh, like if you're true to who you are as yourself, you can speak your mind and still be, and it'll, it'll still be understood because you're, you're being real. Yeah. Being, being real. Uh, so, so basically you, you want to give the fans what they want as long as it's still in the context of what you're, you, you know, I don't want to use a played out phrase here, but, uh, as long as it's still in the context of your vision or, or of what you're trying to accomplish. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's good to take risks too and kind of step outside of your comfort zone because mm-hmm. that might, you know, uh, let you expand your circle more to invite more people in to your audience that you're trying to build. So taking taking a little bit of risks. So in this case, you're you're addressing a more niche market in this specific example. I'm just gonna t- I'm just gonna tell you about it because it's ridiculous and it's <laughs> like it's so ridiculous and i'm just going to tell you right now i'm not i'm not embarrassed because i think it's a little funny okay but i i I have no idea how it's going to be received so there's a new song that came out this week by what's her name uh that that wop song with cardi b and oh i've heard of this yeah all right so there's a music video with it now and this morning we saw a meme of it where they're going down this hallway looking through doors and there's tigers there. Yeah. And they're in these ridiculous dresses and yeah. there's like a weird fountain on the wall and it's like a breast fountain yeah. and the breasts are like spewing out water. It's really weird and bizarre. Yeah. So I saw a meme this morning where they have that song and they it's for The Office and they cut Michael Scott dancing to this song while Cardi B and whoever the other person is, I should look it up, yeah. <laughs> is looking through this the doors and they see Michael Scott dancing. So I made a new one with the mummy dancing. Nice. So I don't know how that's going to be received. It's just going to be a little ridiculous. I I see what you're saying. Well, now, now I kind of get it more is that it's like, it's not, it's making reference to something that is not, uh, like, like the office is even more general than the song is because the song is in a particular sort of, uh, like it doesn't fit in all sides of the Venn diagram. So uh, you're going a little bit as Megan Stallion? Megan the Stallion? Yeah, I don't know anything about her either other than she was recently shot. I'm not really a... Although um, a different, a YouTuber um, that, I f- that I follow, that I subscribe to, uh, came up with the best... Um, name for that kind of like subgenre of what it is. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like, I don't know if it would be seen as disrespectful in any way. I don't, you know, I'm not making anything like that, but uh, this YouTube channel, uh, he's called the, the punk rock MBA or punk MBA or something like that. Um, uh-huh. Really awesome. Just to like learn about music and like how they do marketing and music and, and that kind of stuff. Like he basically reviews music based on their marketing plans and how they work with trends and stuff like that. He's, he's some kind of like marketing expert. Anyways, uh, he dubbed that kind of subgenre of music as uh, stripper fight music. That's hilarious. And it's like, oh, yeah, yep, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Like, um, anyways, uh, but yeah, so I, I see what you're saying about about kind of doing that and, and sort of going maybe a little bit more risque or, or kind of ju- jumping some lines that you previously wouldn't. But I think you're right. I think those are the exact kind of moves that you need to do in order to kind of broaden your scope or broaden your your fan base. People might be able to discover you through like a very timely sort of, you know, post or something like that. But then people will be able to understand like, oh, hey, look, here's this other body of work that I might be interested in. But this might just have far reaches right now because it's a very hot 
sort of thing. Right. Cause, cause you know, going back to our conversation earlier on how I'm nine years older than you, I feel like, uh, <laughs> I, I feel it's, I'm starting to feel it more with the, the content and stuff I'm trying to post. And so I, I don't know if, if, if I feel, I don't feel on the, the front of the lines anymore. I feel a little, uh, yeah. like two steps behind everybody. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think I need to kind of figure out what's, what's cool and hip with the kiddos these days. And, you know, try and try and appease not appease to them a little bit, but uh, uh, more, but to uh, relate to them more because that's like the demographic movies like to uh, attract the you know males fourteen to twenty one or whatever. It right. Is. I mean, really, they spend that's, the most money. Exactly. I was gonna yeah. say the most purchasing power is always behind that kind of demographic that pushes a little bit younger. Um, maybe just starting to get a disposable income and things like that. Like those are kind of where those decisions are made. Yeah. I, I, so I guess then here's, here's sort of my follow-up question. And if this doesn't have like a natural answer, then, you know, maybe it doesn't, but how important to, to like, we're, we're taught not to, uh, you know, judge a book by its cover. Right. Like that's that's like a saying that we put out there. But I think that that's kind of bullshit. Right. We all we all do. Naturally, we're making distinctions based on preferences and things like that. I think that that naturally occurs. So then how much as you're trying to broaden your or expand maybe your reach out into, you know, maybe not untouched markets, but like into into these broader audiences, how much of your appearance and like what you're putting out, how how important is that in terms of like resonating with these other audience groups it's never been important to me before but i'm feeling it more and more now because i feel like creating content has gotten so easy to do Mm. and not just any type of content like content that looks really really good yeah like people can go out their phones and make cinematic movies now yeah you know and it's it's just a different world than when i grew up you had to shoot on film to actually get something to look like a movie Mm -hmm. and so uh I, I feel like our appearance is kind of, I don't know. I feel like it's its definitely more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Reflective of, let's say, our mission statement and the stuff that we're going for. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of really driving what we're trying to put out social media wise as far as our our appearance. If that, does that answer your question? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that that's like... Essentially that you, and I think that's what you're doing with the meme here, right? Or with memes in general that for, for right. Elephant Scout. It's like your end product isn't memes, but you're trying to communicate what it is you do and what your, in this case, the mummy movie, uh, what your product is all about through the, you could almost call it the parlance or the language of, of current, you know, that, that audience that you're trying to attract or that you're trying to build. I mean, I think that that's, that's ultimately what it's all about, right? Is it, when you're going for that exposure. And I think that there's, ah, uh, there's another YouTuber um, that I should definitely uh, shout out for. I, I don't think that this is a novel thought. So, so maybe, but this particular YouTuber did a great job of kind of diagramming this out where uh, she, she was kind of mapping how her progress through her YouTube career or whatever you would call it kind of looks like. And it's always that, you know, oh, everybody thinks like I'm going to post these videos and I'm going to hit this tipping point and explode, but it doesn't really work like that. It's like I grow, grow just like a tiny bit and I get my first couple of followers that don't drop off immediately or something like that. And then I get to this point where I stagnate and this is where most people feel like they want to quit. And this is where I felt like I wanted to quit. And then I keep working for months, 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 months. And I actually get like a little bit of a gain, but then I plateau again for a long time. And then I feel like I want to quit again. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of this, instead of this, you know, kind of trajectory boom, uh, you see this kind of stepwise function where it's always this perpetual sort of growth. So uh, I I, I think that that's that's kind of the, the interesting concept there, right? Is that you have, it's this continual growth and development mixed with what is exactly diametrically opposed, which is staying with what got you to the dance, right? One of them is a safe sort of impulse that you have that's like, oh, I've reached a certain amount of followers or I've reached a certain amount of subscribers. I've got a certain amount of fans. They all love what I previously did. I don't maybe want to rock the boat. I want to be safe. Right. I, I know that I've right. got these people with what I currently did. I should keep doing what I did. 
But then at the same time, you might be the opportunity cost there is that your next moves that might have been a little bit more risky or a little bit more aggressive or something like that might be exactly those that then step you up into a new level of fan base. And maybe people wouldn't drop off. So, I mean, how do you manage that mindset with yourself in terms of sticking with what you've, I, I mean, especially now that you're looking down the barrel of maybe uh, Dirty Harriet, maybe not, you know, or this other list of movies that you've referenced that, that you know, I think you came up with 20 ideas or collaborated on 20 ideas. How are you kind of looking at that in terms of audience building, in terms of, you know, sticking to the great elephant scout stuff that has built you to where you are currently versus, you know, really doing versatile and new stuff and maybe risking it. I mean, how do you balance those two things? Well, I think the first step is to kind of, uh, not believe in cancel culture. Hmm. I don't believe it's a thing because you're Uh, always going to be thinking about, uh, I don't, I don't think anyone's ever like, I feel like, People have been called out, but not really canceled. Do you know what I'm mm. saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying to think of someone that has been canceled that has gone through cancel culture. That's not yeah. like a, a rapist or a pedophile or something. Right. I mean, that that's actually like that's something just absolutely that's, that's, awful and should be canceled. Right. Right. That's that's like a whole different like, territory. Uh, exactly. But um, but so like we can get caught up in this idea that oh, if we say something we're going to get canceled or we're going to upset people or we're going to, uh, I saw a meme the other day, which I thought was hilarious. And it was, uh, it was on that, on some meme page. Cause I'm looking for meme inspiration. Uh, <laughs> it was Avril Lavigne lyrics from like the year 2000. Uh, and it was that song. Uh, he was a boy and she was a girl. Can I make it any more obvious? Uh-huh. And the meme was Avril Lavigne lyrics. And then people in 2020, uh, well, she's canceled now. And I just thought yeah. it was the funniest oh, yeah. thing ever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just because it's just uh, hilarious that, you know, that, that with that is something you can get caught up in and you can water yourself down so much so you are not offensive to anybody, but then you're just this bland piece of paper mm-hmm. that has nothing to say, really. Mm-hmm. So then it's this... Uh, getting over this fear of being canceled, I guess, is one step in these projects that we've looked into. Uh, And then in regards to Dirty Harriet, I mean, we're probably going to change the name of it. Sure. But we looked at it and it's, and the things that I feel uh, cop movies and TV shows kind of just like, uh, like whitewash their stories through are issues that we've already been dealing with. Even in the short Good Cop, Mom Cop, Mm Uh, Harriet crosses the line and she got fired for it, which is a, you know, she had repercussions for her actions. So it's like we've kind of been dealing with these social conversations that are, that are going on right now. Right. And in our stories already. So it's and we whatever could have been an issue in the feature version has kind of has been dealt with. We talked about it. We discussed it. And now we're it's at a point where I feel good about it. Mm-hmm. We can move forward with it. Yeah. So. It's, it's, I think we can get caught up in, uh, not being true to ourselves in fear of offending everyone in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, to put it in a different way, I guess having a point of view is going to be crucial to building an audience because ultimately people are seeking something to relate to. Ultimately people are looking for something that that means something to them and and as you put right. it these these kind of bland inoffensive in, in every sense of the word not even in the in the current definition of the term but but even in the general sense of the term like these bland sort of in, inoffensive you know statements or or creations and stuff like that it, it's it's important for you to have something for the audience to think about or discuss or you know whatever like basically having a point of view is going to be crucial, even though it might seem like something that could get you into hot water or something like that. But in this case, you're saying it's, it's really something that's important, like a a foundational stone to, to anything else, to building any kind of audience. Yeah. So, right. Cause 
it's it's a uh, it, it is a fine line to walk, but because on the flip side of that, you could be completely offensive and have everybody talking about you all the time, and that's just the wrong type of audience that you want. Mm-hmm. So you can it's it's uh, I don't know it's just uh, it's an interesting world to live in right now to where everyone does definitely does have an opinion, but you definitely need to have your own and stand your ground and be true to yourself and be able to move forward and not let any of that malarkey out in the world hold you back. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and I mean, to, to flip that on its head then, to take the concept as instead of a uh, creator, more as a viewer or a listener or, you know, whatever audience member you might be, should, do you think it's, it's a part, it, it should be a part of the audience? Like, do you think they are not necessarily obligated, but do you think as a good audience member out in the community, that, you know, it's uh, it's part of your duty to sort of be looking at things or try to look at something at least first through an objective lens, because that would contribute to this, you know, right off the top, if you say the wrong thing, you can be dismissed without your body of work really being considered. Do you think then it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act between the creators and between the audience members themselves, that it may be the creator's duty to be authentic to yourself and really have a, have a point of view but then also on the other end, somebody should actually be listening. I think people should definitely be listening and doing their own research. I feel like that doesn't happen enough. I feel yeah. like people read headlines or they read a single line in a tweet or a post, and that's all they have to make their, they're basing their opinion on. Not They're not looking, they're not having a conversation. It's just immediate, you know, defensiveness and attack. Sure. So uh, just, you know, it happens. And I feel like if you are true and strong in your own beliefs and you're being real and you don't feel like your intentions are malicious, you're going to be fine. Yeah. It's easy to come back for not come back from that, but just stand up for that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, uh, you know, I think my, my dad, uh, is, uh, a, a foreigner, obviously we've, I, well, I don't know if that's obvious to the new podcast. My father only became an American citizen in, uh, I want to say 2010, uh, so man, 10 years ago, Whew. wow, wow <laughs> time. Uh, so, so my father became a, a citizen about 10 years ago, but one of the things, so he, um, came to the country, you know, when he was in his twenties. And so a lot of the stuff, like he learned a lot of English through just reading books, uh, in English. Although weirdly enough, one of those books that was foundational was a clockwork orange where they use, oh my goodness. Yeah, they use made up phrases. So all the time my father just says things like, you know, the bush bush or the, you know, whatever. Like he just he just picked up. So he picked up, you know, English from a lot of books. And then he picked up kind kind of some morality from uh, movies and from films and things like that. So one of the things that he references all the time that he learned from the Godfather was that if you are being completely truthful then you have no one to fear because because you're you know th- like honesty can never be something that's looked at as a a negative sort of consequence uh-huh. right it's like you at least in the long term right so people you you what you might express or what you might be thinking may not be in vogue with the current uh, you know, perspective, but nobody could fault you in the long term for having an honest perspective and having an honest conversation. So I think that kind of relates back into maybe what our duties are as both creators and also both observers of, of creation, so to speak. Um, shifting gears a little bit, because I, I know uh, this has been like it's it's kind of relating this topic to one we've also spoken about quite a bit. And I, I, I was kind of curious I think I know what your answer to this is going to be, but I wanted to see how you, again, all of this is balancing acts, right? Like, you know, we want to uh, have a point of view, but we also don't want to be completely shoving things down people's throats or, or making it inappealing, you know, et cetera. So I know that you're a big proponent of uh, basically uh, destroying pr- procrastination. And you do this by basically saying that like, you know, look, it's not going to be perfect or it's not going to be if I keep like perfect is the enemy of good or great or whatever. Right. This, this is my, my layman's terms breakdown of the Chris Scott philosophy. Oh my goodness. You know, it's far better to put something out and to continually be creating something as opposed to holding yourself back onto all these different, um, 
all, all these different things like, oh, it could be better or I'm going to wait until X, Y, Z because then you end up waiting forever. So in the, in the kind of scope of audience building and how you, you know, feel like you're building this relationship with maybe a wider group of people and et cetera, how do you balance uh, wanting to put out just the right stuff or just the right targeted stuff, just the right targeted content, or I want to make sure this is absolutely right so I debut it for my audience and it's not going to be received poorly or et cetera. How do you balance those instincts with your instincts to, you know, uh, not procrastinate, put stuff out, have a consistent schedule, have people depend on you for your content, you know, like they know that you're a creator and you're on top of mind. How do you balance those kind of ideas? Do you, I guess would be the first way to. <laughs> I don't think it's something I really think about. I, it's, it's definitely more of a feeling type of thing for sure. Uh, how do I balance that? I think I think you just come to a point where you just stare at something long enough. You just realize what's. You just have a realization as to what's, in re, what you have in front of you to work with versus what's inside your head, and kind of uh, figuring out what you're okay with letting go of in your head to make what's in front of you work in the real world to put out and release, and I think. In regards to creating social media content, it's definitely I've been feeling it more where I feel like I'm 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 leaning towards the the edge of putting out something to put out something. Mm. But I do f- feel like when I'm feeling that uh, we don't post anything. Yeah, because we didn't create anything yeah. to really align with that, and that's been a better move, I think, in general. Hmm. Or if if it comes to me the next day, then we just play catch up and do two posts in a day because we try to post every day. Yeah. But I, I I think what it is, it's um you you're you're only gonna get maybe thirty percent about thirty percent of what you have planned out in your head on the screen when you're mm-hmm. making a movie. I, yeah. I think David Fincher said that. I think that's a Fincher quote. Good uh, maybe Fincher. it's maybe it's more than thirty percent, maybe it's seventy percent. I don't remember. Fifty percent. <laughs> well well thirty it's, and seventy are drastically different. <laughs> uh it's not a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, uh, so I think the the sooner you come to terms with that, that your, you know, that your perfectionism in your head or your vision in your head is is just something you're gonna have to work towards. You can't expect to have that happen immediately. It takes time right. and practice and and work to get to that big vision in your head to actually release something and share it with the world. But another part of that is a learning. There's there's more than one thing to learn from creating something. Yeah. And in your head, it could be, I need it to look amazing and perfect and cinematic and all this fun stuff. But there's other parts to work, you know, like, does the audience like it? You know, what do you like about this that the audience likes or doesn't like? Does this really connect with people? Is this real? Does the execution of this project really uh, resonate with an audience? And is, you know, is that important to you or not? And if so, yeah. then why are you... Why are you creating this and trying to keep putting this out there? So it's definitely uh, getting over yourself to really create something to put out in the world is the hard part. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. If- I, I I certainly think that that's. Uh, I mean, there there's multi that that kind of unlocked a whole bunch of stuff that's going on in my brain, and I think that's where you and I ultimately are like two sides to the same coin. Uh, and it's it's kind of like a, it reminds me of that. Uh, uh, I I remember one of my jujitsu coaches uh, was was coaching me before a, a tournament, and I was training really hard and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things he said is kind of relatable to that. He he told me he's like, look, like there's sometimes when you're worried about you know giving up your arm by by going for this or doing that and you're going to give something up so I can see that you're not, you're hesitating and you're kind of, you're pulling back because you don't want to give them any ammo, anything that they can use against you. But he's like, sometimes, and this isn't always the case, but more often than not, making even poor decisions will get you farther than making no decisions at all. And Mm -hmm. that, that was something that like I kind of saw resonated when I did that experiment at the beginning of the year when I was just doing write-ups of uh, like synopsis or uh, like analysis of all the different books that I was reading. Like I was doing one a week and I was being consistent with it. 
And sometimes, uh, you know, it happened a couple times where I read, and I remember actually now that now that I'm not uh, posting that, I can actually talk about it explicitly because in the forum on you know LinkedIn where I was, I even got a comment or I got like a guy following my posts who was an author of one of the books that I read. So I was like, now all of a sudden I felt like, oh shit, I can't, you know, talk shit about <laughs> any of these any of these books. It's a public audience, but I'm gonna say it anyways. I um, there's this company called McKinsey. Are you are you aware of them? Uh, sounds familiar. Yeah, they're they're really big. They do a whole lot of stuff. But one of the things that they do is they're you know business analysts and they do consulting. So I picked up one of their books on strategy, and I read it cover to cover, and it was, in my opinion, total bullshit. Like it was a book that was just about they use like. Nowhere in there do they define what strategy is or do they really like there's it's not about cultivating good strategy. It was just using buzzwords and saying things, you know, it was like an empty calorie bullshit, you know, like and I remember uh, I remember thinking like I was really struggling getting through this book and I was really struggling writing it. And I was like, all right, you know, maybe I don't want to write this one out because it's not going to be very good or it's not going to be very positive or it's not going to be, you know, this isn't my best quality work because frankly, I didn't enjoy the process of doing it or something like that. So I had all these reasons as to why I I shouldn't be doing that. But then just in the volume of keeping a cadence of having an essay every single week, like not only did did it make the writing process easier for myself because I stopped getting into this headspace where like, oh no, it's, it's not perfect. It's not, it's not clever enough or it doesn't have enough, you know, whatever. What is my audience going to think? What are all the people that are reading this going to think? Because like LinkedIn has built in analytics. So it tells you immediately how many people have read it and how many people, whatever. But as soon as I let that go and just started, you know, creating it, being authentic to who I am and saying that like, look, I didn't enjoy this book. You be judge for yourself. And here's why. I just kept the authenticity and I just kept doing it, you know, regardless. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, I had actual authors following me and I had, uh, you know, a bunch of people commenting and reacting and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's kind of this, like, I'm, I'm the exact opposite where I always try and hold stuff until it's perfect and I don't want to debut unless it's a masterpiece and stuff. But then you end up not getting you don't end up building that audience because you you haven't exposed anything. So your first time at bat, it may be the best work that you've put out, but who's going to watch it? Who's there? Right. So exactly. I think I think that you and I represent these kind of dualities or dichotomies if you will in that in that viewpoint because you always have at least to me, I mean maybe maybe you weren't this way earlier on in your career, but to me you've always kind of been like, well, I you keep hard deadlines and I think you do so intentionally to to you know kind of force yourself into being like all right here's where we're at here's our product we're going to put it out we're going to see what happens like I think you're really big into testing and retesting or am uh, I, wrong? I am I I do think it's easier to uh, like when you're writing something I feel like it's easier to rewrite than to actually write and mm. so if you if you can actually write something out it's and let's say two hours. At the end of that two hours, you can take half an hour and re-edit it, and it's just going to be way easier because you kind of have like the base of what you originally intended to spit out to write, mm-hmm. and so it's easier to uh, modify that or lift that up or add parts that you think are missing or take things away that are a little too repetitive. So it's it's. I feel like deadlines definitely give you that they take the pressure off of constantly facing a blank page. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense because that's that's the hardest part, right? Is like just overcoming right. those initial steps. How much do you, uh, now that I'm thinking about the your writing process and everything like that, how much of, how much of the audience are you considering while you're writing? Well, I, I feel like when I create something, I kind of think of who I would want to watch a movie with and yeah. that's what's always kind of driving you know, what I'm kind of creating when I write. So it's mostly with family members. Like, like would I want to watch this with my mom or with my grandmother? Mm-hmm. It's like, that's kind of like what I think about when I'm trying to create a story and tell a story. That's, that's interesting because I feel like most people would probably, and, and I might be completely wrong, 
But most people who maybe aren't making movies would turn it the other direction, right? What are the kind of movies that I would want to watch? But not turning it around and focusing on other people, what are the type of movies that I would like to share with other people? So like you're speaking of a shared experience, like I would be watching this with my mom, with my grandmother, you know, what are the type of movies that I would like to share as an experience? And I think that that speaks to the difference, right? Between like, I'm not a filmmaker. I'm not a creator in that sense. So I always think about it like, oh, what's the movie that I would want to watch? But naturally you're thinking about what are the movies that I would like to share with other people? Right. And I think that goes back to my, uh, how I never think I'm a film festival filmmaker. Sure. So I feel like people that make that make movies that are Sundance darlings, they're kind of making films for themselves and the stories they want to tell and see on the screen. So I'm, I'm kind of I'm not saying that my bubble's huge of who I think about when I want to tell a story. It's, it's definitely more controlled, but it's I, and I, they are things I also want to see. But I have always believed that going to the movies has been a community experience. Mm. You know, you sit in a dark room with hundreds of other people. You can't not mean not anymore and maybe never again, but you would go and sit out in the theater and just like enjoy two hours with strangers. And hopefully you're keeping quiet and uh, (laughs) turning your phones off. Right. And you're just like absorbing the story being told to you and you all laugh at the same time or you have, you know, go through the emotional arc together. uh, Not, you know, just like, like you just share that energy in that room. And I feel like if you disregard that, it's not going to, it's, it's just a different type of storytelling to me. Yeah. I I think you're actually, you're, you're totally right about that because I remember the thing that exemplified that idea to me the most was when I saw that movie, um, uh, a quiet place. Yeah. Do you remember that one? The, the John Krasinski movie. Um, Uh I thought it was okay. You know, whatever. But uh, the the part that really shows that it's like you're not just experiencing this. Like it is different than watching the movie, the same movie uh, alone in your house because you're oh, yeah. not because part of the thing that made it so unique was there are long extended scenes where there is no sound going on. And that was a very unique sort of movie-going experience because how often in the theaters, like, yeah, nobody's supposed to be talking, nobody's supposed to be on their phones, those are all table stakes, those are rules, but generally when you're at a movie, there's dialogue or there's music going on or something, you know, whatever, but there was just extended scenes of absolute quiet, and that's when you get this self-reflective realization that, hey, I'm sitting in this room with a bunch of other people, and how we are experiencing this, because that has the, the greatest th- threat of all, if it's silent, to be ruined by other people around you. But we all kind of agreed, we all agreed that we're all going to shut up for a while and we're going to just be silent. And so it really was this kind of, uh, uh, you know, audience level of, of creativity and audience level of like understanding. And so I thought that was really unique and that really made me, you know, I thought the plot of the movie was so, so okay, but it really did make me um, rethink about, what watching films or movies to me is because it's uh-huh. it, it, it isn't just a singular like the same thing as me just watching out on my couch no matter what you know uh did you happen to watch blood diamond yet <laughs> no oh, that's that's what i forgot to do is watch blood diamond <laughs> i'm kidding you write it down it's a really sad movie i would save it for a time where you're feeling particularly emotionally strong um but the point being is that you know it Like, I'm not, when I watch that movie, for instance, I'm not just thinking about myself and my experience. I'm thinking about the experience of people, you know, many countries away and stuff like that. So, so by nature, I think building an audience like that has this kind of outward rippling effect where, where we can, I don't know, relate to one another in a, in a uh, on on maybe a, a singular path that we couldn't before. It's where like you see a fan of a certain band in Brazil always will have something to talk about with a fan of that same band in America or in you know Costa Rica or in right. Canada. They have that shared experience and they can right. They can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. So so the the Chris Scott method of audience building seems to be uh, if I if 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 I had to sum it up in five points. What, what do you think those are? So uh, here's what I've gleaned out of this conversation. Correct me if I'm incorrect. But uh, first and foremost, you have to have a point of view and you have to make, yes. your, make your product a 
an extension of yourself in a sense, or at least like it has some sort of point of view. It has something meaningful in it that you're contributing, not to be bland and not to be meaningless. Um, you have to make you in audience building. It has to be almost like a two way conversation between yourself and the audience. You are giving something of yourself, but then you're also seeing how they react, how they what they think and, and getting that feedback back from them. Am I uh-huh, on, uh-huh. on track? Okay. Um, I think uh, what we were talking about was making your your book cover as attractive as possible, which uh, was a extended metaphor that now I kind of wish that I had dumped uh, <laughs> earlier on in the conversation. <laughs> say, say that again? Uh, I, I, I was making your book cover attractive. Like, what, what do I mean? It's like, it's like, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. So it's like, you need to have your, you need to be polished. You need to have, you need to be like attentive to, you know, what you're doing. And as you're branching out and trying to expand to other people, you, uh, you have to, like, you have to be attractive to draw people in. Right, right. Like, okay. what, like what you're doing with the social media pool is that you figured out the language of this audience that you're trying to build and you're making your like better enabling that conversation to happen with that audience using those those tools, basically. Yep. OK. Yep. Maybe. Um, maybe. Maybe. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I think I think this was, you know, the, the last thing was kind of what I drew from a previous conversation I think we had on CSS and, you know, with the with the conversation of uh, a thousand true fans and all that. But it's that you're really focusing on your, uh, you know, is it is it better to, I think we this is what we directly said from that conversation was, is it better to have the reach of a mile with the depth of an inch or the depth of a mile with the reach of an inch? I feel like I messed that up somewhere. Anyways. I think, I think that's right. The, the point is, is like being true to your, being true to yourself, being true to your product, being true and authentic to, you know, what you're trying to communicate but then, you know, making sure that you're you're uh, focusing on your group, your niche, if you will, which in your case is not the uh, the uh, film festival crowd. It's not the film festival. I don't think it is. But I mean, you might get a, a nice little wreath banner you can put on, you know, something. A laurel. Is that what that's called? They're laurels. Yeah, they're called laurels. Well, so if you didn't learn anything else here today, at least you know that those little leaf things for con and all that kind of stuff are called laurels. It's very important. I very don't believe in laurels, but but some oh. people do. Well, I know now is not a time to rest on your laurels. See what I see what and, I did there? <laughs> and and I'm just gonna do a hard cut after that joke. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, that's probably for the best. Do you have anything different to plug? Anything we should add here? Or should we just cut there? Eddie Mummy is uh, available now. Just go to elephantscout.com and you can see all the details on how to uh, participate in this benefit screening we're doing online. Beautiful. Elephantscout.com, uh, at elephantscout on Instagram and et cetera. I don't know if you tweet. I've been thinking I should start tweeting. We'll see what happens. I don't really understand have memes Twitter. Now. Just tweet them, right? Yeah, just, just tweet them. Just tweet him, baby. Yeah. Uh, Hashtag dope. (laughs) Hashtag dope. Uh, Look up at Elephant Scout on Instagram, elephantscout.com, and uh, definitely check out how you can help with the Eddie Mummy screening um, and, you know, become a part of the, uh, the Chris Scott extended audience. Start that conversation. What about you? What are you going to plug? Uh... I've got nothing to plug outside of that. Uh, I have a very like great testing uh, situation that's about to happen. I've got uh, some some. This is my start to my audience building, so to speak. Uh-huh. Is that I've got a couple black belts uh, who are very reputable. They're from the the gym that I train at, uh, and. You know, we've had to stop training due to COVID, and so that kind of made me question where this, where we were at with this and all, whatever. But um, I have some parties that are really interested, and they compete at the highest level of the sport. So uh, we're going to start just doing some sessions uh, at, at the gym, limited parties, just like the three or four of us, um, 
contact tracing to make sure we're all being safe and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we're going to start to, I'm going to start walking them through formulations and things like that. And then I'm just going to start by getting qualitative feedback, you know, because right now I don't have the sophisticated machinery to, to get quantitative feedback, meaning, okay, how excitable is your, uh, how excitable is your neurons? Like, is your EEG showing what it should be for the, you know, I don't have the tools for that. So, uh, instead, there's not, I'm there's just, not a, there's not an app for that. There, there's some stuff that I've been looking into. There's actually something that I was going to buy, which is a, a neural kind of thing. I'll, I'll be showing off some new tools probably by the end of the year, uh, is, is where I've gotten some budget approval on. Um, but, uh, for the time being, I was like, why don't I just start by collecting some qualitative experiential stuff? Right. And then that way I already have these guys on deck as reviewers, as, you know, people in the community who could be like, Oh, I love this product. It makes me feel X, Y, Z. It does X, Y, Z while I'm training. It's, you know, whatever. I'm not going to put words into their mouth, but uh, that way I can start, you know, if I start this formulation testing with them as what I'm calling, I'm bringing them in as development partners is the title. So uh, if I bring them in as that, then it will give me some clout in the community, so to speak. Uh-huh. Uh, so it, it's, it's a start. It's, it's a start to audience building in a, you know, two people, but how do I make sure that in, in, in this example, I guess it would work towards the pr- principle of listening to your audience. I know what I'm right. looking for in these types of supplements and these types of stuff, but let me listen to the audience. Let me listen to what they have to say, what they want. You know, they're the ones who have, who have been experiencing this lack of this type of product seg- segment in martial arts. Let me try and, you know, feel it out with them and see, am I achieving something that, you know, and obviously this is going to have to go through many, many, many reforms, but am I achieving something that would be beneficial to these people at the highest level of the sport? And if that's the case, I think that's a great place to start. That's a very good place to start. So not not much to plug out of me yet, but progress is being made. And uh, if you live in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, you can definitely have a chat with me about uh, becoming a development partner for uh, Flow Roll, but maybe renamed because the more and more I say it, the more I fucking hate that name. <laughs> But you can find me at at Atish Mazish. That's at A-T-I-S-H-M-A-Z-I-S-H. Go ahead and throw me uh, a message in there if you're in the Phoenix area and you want to talk about nootropics, martial arts, etc. I would love to have a chat.